Father, we're grateful for today and just thank you for your grace and the ability to be here with the saints and just thank you for your word and how it's such a light through the darkness of this world and we're grateful for it in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we left off and we were going to talk about the world system. I invite you next week to bring three examples of the world system to class from what you see in society. If you can give me three examples of the world system. No, three. <laughs> three examples of what uh, you see in life or around you that would represent the world system. Hopefully by today, after we talk about it, you will have great examples. And so we're talking about the world system. We've been talking about the spiritual enemies of the believer. And the world system is probably the, the um, easiest enemy to overcome. Because if you're spiritual, as a spiritual believer, and then you're overcoming Satan, the world system is going to be easier to overcome uh, than the first two enemies. And so uh, we have Lewis Berry Schaefer. I can't really come up with a better uh, definition of it than he did. Uh, uh, excuse me, C.I. Schofield. Uh, and notice what he says here in his definition. In the sense of the present world system, the ethical bad sense of the word refers to the order arrangement under which Satan has organized the unbelieving world of mankind upon his cosmic principles of force, greed, selfishness, ambition, and pleasure. This world system is imposing and powerful with armies and fleets. It is often outwardly religious. And this is the thing that you really want to see. A lot of people don't really see that. The world system is religious. And I've, the more I come to understand, the more I see what's happening in Christendom today, just religion. A lot of what's happening in a lot of your churches is nothing but works of the flesh. A great much, much of it is just works of the flesh. Scientific, cultured, and elegant, but seething with national and commercial rivalries and ambitions and is upheld in any real crisis only by armed force and it's dominated by satanic principles. And so, what did Satan do? God has allowed Satan, and we, we're going to see, Satan is, or have seen, that Satan is running the world system. He's in control of it now. Now, this is the thing that really makes sense now. When I was a kid, I just could not reconcile in my mind, God's powerful, but I'm looking out at the world and I see chaos. Yeah. How do you reconcile those two things? It never made sense to me, and I never had anyone explain it clearly. Maybe I was carnal, <laughs> but I just never had anyone explain it. Well, what God is doing, remember the parables of Matthew 13? What happens to the kingdom when the king goes away? Well, he sublet the kingdoms, the kingdom that would have been his kingdom out to Satan. And Satan's running, and it actually goes back actually further than that, going even back into the Old Testament. We'll see Solomon uses a different word for it, but he says, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. And what does he say? Life under the sun. And look at these things that he talks about. Now, he doesn't call it the world system, but I think that's what he's talking about. If you go back to Ecclesiastes, and I would say, don't read the book of Ecclesiastes unless you're spiritual. Exactly. Because it would make, make you depressed. Because <laughs> he's very cynical. I think he's very cynical. Because here you have a rich guy who has the ability to participate in all of the world system. And he's tried it all. He even tells you, I think in the first chapter, that he gives himself over to insanity. To liquor. To women. To everything. He tried it all. Nothing could actually soothe what was ailing him. Nothing. And so, I mean, if, if you understand that, you understand that the world system is never going to satisfy. It doesn't have the ability to be able to do it. Yet people try. But notice the things that you see here. The world system as seen as life under the sun. It's used 27 times in the Old Testament, this phrase is, and it's only used in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so he talks about labor. We all know about that, right? (laughs) And you read that, and he's cynical about labor. 
And he talks about the fact, I think it's in the second chapter, what does it profit a man to work? You work hard and you gain all of this stuff and then you're going to leave it to some fool (laughs) who's going to misuse it, right? Somebody who never worked for it, right? And they're not going to appreciate it. (laughs) He talks about that there's no new thing under the sun. If you look at the world system, I, when we were up in Pennsylvania, I, it, when you look at the um, Amish people, although I, you know what's cool? I really like their hats and suspenders. <laughs> I, said, I said I was going to get me some, one of those hats. <laughs> and uh, what was it? Somebody was saying we're going to have to change your name to Jessup. <laughs> but anyway, okay, I'm done. I'm distracted. Uh, but there's no new thing. And they talk about the fact that we only want to ride around in a horse and buggy. It's still part of the world system. They don't understand that. It's a mode of communication. It's still part of the world system. They don't get it. They're still participating in the world system. And the only way that you won't participate in the world system is to leave this world. That's the only way that you're not going to be participating in the world system. And so to say that, oh, we're... We're just going to not drive cars. You're fooling yourself. You are still participating in the world system. <laughs> the works uh, that are caused under the sun, are va- he says, they're vanity and vexation of the spirit. So anybody who actually looks at what's going on in life and actually stops to think, I think they get depressed. Because you see what's going on and that there's no point to it. If you just look at life apart from God, it's pointless. There's no point to it. So a guy gets rich. Look at these people that are rich. They're they're crazy. A lot of them are crazy. And it's because they've, they've gotten all this money. They don't have anything else to do. And that's what consumes the life of almost every human being on the face of this earth is working to try to make it. Well, what happens after you make it? There's nothing else. (laughs) And so there's a problem with it. And he talks about the work and how grievous it is. And that here he says, one leaves the fruits of their labor. (laughs) Well, who cares? I mean, hey, I'm dead. I don't know how to even think about it. You know, you leave it to a frivolous person. I wouldn't want to do that. But one uh, wisdom is essential in living in the world. Uh, he talks about judgment and righteousness being replaced by wickedness and iniquity. The oppression that is done. I mean, people see this. I remember uh, the guy Carlton Pearson, who was a pastor in, in uh, Tulsa. And he saw the doing the uh, Rwandan, Rwanda, the... Uh, uh, killing that happened in Rwanda back some years ago, and I think 800,000 people were killed in this ethnic cleansing that went on in Rwanda, and he came to conclude there can't, there can't be a hell. This mu- we must be on in hell. And he changed his theology because of that. And so he believed, he became a universalist, really. And he believes that this is hell. Because, you know, he just can't believe that a God of the universe would, would allow that kind of thing to happen. And so you see the oppression of kids. You see the oppression of the poor, how the rich always oppress the poor. You see it all the way throughout scripture. They do. The rich always oppress the poor. They manipulate all of this oppression you see in the world. And Solomon's looking at it in the world system, and that's how it works. And he says, it's pointless. What's the point of this? And then you see, the, uh, he says it's vanity. Vanity there is that idea of pointlessness, the evil that exists. He saw that. Um, the uncertainty of life. So I think what's happening with a lot of people, and particularly unsaved people, is that they see all of this. Most people are indulging in their sin nature so much they don't see it. They're not even stopping to think about what's going on around them. But if you stop to think what's going on around you in this world and you actually see it, you either better get you some good alcohol (laughs) or you better have a great savior. 
And so family life, you know, and he talks about the, how important it is to spend time with your wife and to, that those things have, you know, value. Uh, and then he talks about that things are not necessarily based upon ability. The race is not given to the swift or to the strong. You know, it's not necessarily has anything to do with that at all. And that's just the way that the world system works now. I remember somebody told me that here's a movie that actually captures it. Well, I think there's a couple. But Meet Joe Black. You ever seen that movie? Meet Joe Black. Well, in Meet Joe Black, death comes for this guy, and it's his time to die. And death is seen as a person, though death is not a person. Death comes for this guy who's a multimillionaire, and he makes a deal with the guy, and he says... You know, I've always wanted to see what the world is like, the high end of this world. And he said, I'll make a deal with you. If you will show me what it's like to live in this part of the world, I'll prolong your time here on the earth for a little longer. And so the guy says, "Okay, we'll do that. And he shows him what it's like to live as a multimillionaire and all of the luxuries and all of this. And at the end, death comes to him and says, it's time to go. And the guy says, look at it. Isn't it wonderful? Death shed a tear and said, yeah. <laughs> the world system was so powerful and alluring that even death didn't want to leave it behind. <laughs> and so you have that. With, and then the matrix, I think, is probably one of the clearer ones. Because you have these people that are plugged to a system, and it's all they've ever known. And most people never wake up to the fact that this system is manipulating them. And they never see it. And that's kind of what the world system is. And so, let's see, we're on our page here. Um, page 40 of our uh, booklet. And so, where did the world system start? Well, it started back with Cain and Abel. And if you go back into Genesis 4, one of the things you'll see is that God told Abel that you will be a fugitive and a vagabond, that you will be a wanderer. Um, and what did Cain decide to do? He says, no, I'm not going to be a wanderer. I'm going to settle down. And so this is where you first find that man began to settle down and to organize structures, where uh, places to live, agricultural, music. And a lot of these came from Cain and his descendants. Now, notice in Genesis chapter 4, you see this. And so Cain killed Abel. Now, we have a biblical um, commentary in 1 John 3 that tells us something that you don't find here in Genesis, that the person that was causing Cain to do all of this was Satan. Well, hold your finger there and we'll read it back in First Genesis 3. Now, it's funny that in the Old Testament, it doesn't tell us everything. It just records what happens. And then you come to find out later on, First John chapter 3. Okay, okay. <laughs> Did I? I was just checking you. <laughs> I was just checking you to see if you were. <laughs> now, even after Courtney talked about hermeneutics, I'm engaging in heresy here. Okay, First John chapter three, and notice in First John chapter three um, and verse eleven, and this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, or really from a beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was. Really, and I will say, out from the wicked one, and he slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. So we find out that Satan was manipulating Cain. So a lot of the things that Cain did, Satan was manipulating him. And so here he murders his brother. And I think a lot of it was out of pride. He wanted uh, God to acknowledge what he thought he should bring to God. And, you know, and honestly, this is no different than what's happening in your church today. People bring to God what they think, they tell God what they want to do. 
And they don't want what God wants. God says, no, I want you to do this. They said, no, no, no. Here, this is what I think you should be doing. Like the people who believe that God's not doing a good enough job of saving people today. <laughs> They're telling God, I mean, just think about this. They're telling him how he should be running his creation. This is some crazy stuff. It really is. And only in America, I think, will people have to be so audacious as to tell the God of the universe what they think should happen. And so this is where Cain was. And so God did not acknowledge his offering. And he says, okay, you want a sacrifice? I'll give you one. And he killed his brother. Now, notice what happened as a result of that in verse 13. And Cain's, uh, um, God, or go back and God gives this um, punishment to Cain. In verse 9, and the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he says, I know not. I am not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he says, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth for which uh, hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond thou shalt be in the earth. Now, in verse 13, Cain is not talking about what God just told him. He says in verse 13, And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment, or really, it's uh, the word there in the Hebrew, and quoting was talking about how words matter. I mean, you could get this confused. It's not the word punishment, it's the word perversity. And so he's actually trying to justify why he did it. He said, my perversity is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out from this day from the face of the earth, and from the face, thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive, or a few fugitive is a wanderer, and a vagabond is one who doesn't settle down uh, in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. Now, who is everyone? And people like to ask the question, well, I thought it was just these people. Well, there were obviously other people on the earth at that time. All of this was not given in the commentary, but he had brothers and sisters whom he thought would try to kill him for what he did. And so he says, everyone that finds me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, therefore, whosoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord said, a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Now, just notice to make distinctions in Scripture. Notice how God protected Cain, but then you go back just a few chapters later over in chapter 9, and he says, Anyone that puts another man to death by man shall he be put to death. Don't tell me that murderers shouldn't be put to death. I think they should be put to death, and I think they should do it quickly. The problem is, is that they're not doing it quick enough. And so when somebody kills someone's relatives and then they go 40 years, everybody's dead who even knew that they killed him. Yeah. <laughs> he forgot about it. It's just the craziest stuff. And you, know, you have people who confess to it. And they're still sitting on death row for years and years and years and years. Right. And the whole point of it is to show that if you put someone to death, your life is going to be taken. And it will stop. I guarantee you. And somebody said, well, that's not going to stop it. It'll stop that one. Guarantee you they won't kill again. And so notice in verse 15, and the Lord said unto him, therefore, whosoever slays Cain and, um, uh, and uh, down in 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife and conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city called and called the name of the city in the name of his son Enoch. And Enoch was born, under Enoch was born Irad, and Irad Mahalia, and Mahalia begat Methuselah, and Methuselah begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives, the name of one Ada, and the name of the other Zillah, and Ada bare Jabal, and he was the father of such. And so you're going to see this now, these descendants of Cain who originated different element of the world system. So when we say that someone is the father of something, they were the originator of. 
So when we say that George Washington was the father of this country, he was not my father. <laughs> but he was the originator of, and that's what you see here. And so Ada was the Jabal, and he was the father of such that dwell in tents. And so now you have this establishment um, of uh, the ability of people to settle down in areas and to build places to live in and of such that have cattle. And so they use this, this, um, this uh, livestock for a lot of different reasons or the different purposes. Um, you would say that they were ranchers. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of such as handle uh, the harp and the organ. And so you had different kinds of musical instruments. And Zilla, who bare Tubal, Cain, an instructor or an educator, really, of every artifice um, of brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Uh, and so you have this origin here in which Satan starts establishing this structure of the world system. It's in its infancy stage here. Now look at it today. And it's grown, and we'll see in First John, God the Father did not put any of this stuff here. We can prove that. So if he didn't put it here, who put it here? Now, I will submit to you that Satan was using these people to originate what we know today as the world system. Now, why did he do this? Now, I think that the reason that he did it, he looked at Kate, now, when... Um, Satan tempted Adam. He did not know the result of Adam's temptation would be that they, Adam got a sin nature. Adam and Eve received a sin nature. So people with sin natures don't always do what Satan wants them to do. Right? Just look at some of these people out here in the world system. They're so caught up with their sin nature, Satan can't even get their attention. He can't get their attention. So what does he do? He put the world system here, and the world system is to keep the mind occupied to where you have skin in the game, to where it's easier to control mankind. If he doesn't control them, just think about it. And I, I had a cousin that lived in, and I got relatives that live in New Orleans. So we went to New Orleans once, and I went to visit <clears throat> my cousin, and she lives in some of the most notorious projects in New Orleans. Now, I went in the daytime, and it was quiet. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to go back at night. But what struck me well, about it is that you have people who are unplugged from the world system. So they have nothing to lose. It doesn't bother them to kill someone or to do wreck havoc and do some of these things. They have nothing to lose. When you see people who are plugged into the world system, they keep their sin natures under control because they have something to lose. And this is why everybody is shocked when you see someone who is popular do something that uh, gets them in trouble. And you say, wow, look at all that they gave up. And so that happens. And so now you look at the... Um, you can see in Luke, the 11th chapter, that this puts the origin of the world system back at the time of Cain and Abel. And this is a further proof that we can say, without a doubt, that this, the origin of the world system happened back here in Luke chapter 11 and verse 50. Now, the Lord is giving a commentary on um, these uh, prophets and, uh, and that have been killed and how they were the, the ones that did it were going to be held account. And notice, we could pick it up, um, verse 47 of Luke 11. Woe unto you, uh, he's talking to these lawyers, for you built sepulchers of the prophet, prophets your fathers, and your fathers killed them. Truly you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their sepulchers. Therefore also the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them will slay, and they will slay and persecute. 
verse 50, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world. So notice from he say here, if the foundation of the world begins here. So all of the prophets that were slain from that point, they're going to be held accountable for. Now, when did he say the foundation of the world began from the foundation of the world might be required of this generation from the blood of Abel. Now, we find something out here that we didn't know. Abel was a prophet. See how much the New Testament interprets the Old? Now, you, don't, you wouldn't have known that from the Old Testament. <clears throat> from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. And so we can say that the world system began over here with Cain and his descendants. And it was in its infancy stage then. Now, there are, as you look at the world system, I just wanted to show you some other things here on the charts. <clears throat> Satan is using it, we've talked about this, to deceive the world. The world system is a huge mechanism in how he deceives the world. And we'll point this out to you. So it's all of these things that if you didn't have these things going on, and you can see it with people who are unplugged from the world system, if they're not plugged in and their minds are not directed in a certain way, then their sin natures are going to overrun them. And Satan can't control them. So what does he do? He has politics. He has media. He has religion. Entertainment. Education. Psychology. All of these things. And they're all meant to lasso people and pull them into the world system. And so people are operating in this system and all they think about are these things. They see life through all of this. Um, every once in a while, my wife shows me something she sees on Facebook and some of these people that are just out of control and you say, yikes! These, these people are nuts! But they're seeing life through a certain prism, you see. And to them, this is real. It's true. This is all they know. And it works. From the time that people are born into this world, this is all they know. And so what we're going to see is that Satan is just using it like a, the world system, like a little baby, just cradling the little people in his arms. Oh, you need a little something here. Take, go to school here. You need something else. What about a new truck? Here, take this. And he's using the world system to lull people to sleep. Now, I have a scripture that tells you that. Look at Revelation chapter 18. <clears throat> well, I have more than one scripture. <clears throat> we could use quite a few. Um, <clears throat> now, notice in, uh, what's going to happen is in, in the 17th chapter of Acts, it tells you something that John saw this vision that was just unbelievable that shocked him. And it was this, uh, this beast, and this beast was just massive. And he didn't understand what it was. And then when he started looking at the image of it and the colors that are mixed with it, that beast become, begins to come in focus. You have, when the rapture occurs, a mingling of Christendom and government. And it's going to create one of the most massive money-making machines ever produced. And so that's why in the 17th chapter, this beast is called the harlot. Because it's the church that's supposed to be representing God who's gone rogue. So when the church actually is taken out of the world, all of the other religions are going to come together and they're going to join with the governments of the world 
and they're going to create this great, massive money-making machine. And so notice, before the Lord comes back at the end of the tribulation period, this system is destroyed. And here, what do you see happening when they see that this system is destroyed? Verse 21 of chapter 18, we pick it up there. And a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea. Now, what is he, he destroying here? Well, there is a city that personifies, that is the headquarters of this system. And as, the, as you look at the description of it, most people believe, and as you, I think that the terrain points right directly over to Rome. That that's where it is. That it's the head of the system. And so it's not just the Catholic Church, but I believe it's a lot of religions that come together. And so what does he destroy? He destroys the headquarters, which effectively destroys the system. And so notice he says he cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. No craftsman of whatsoever craft shall he be shall be found no more at all in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall, be, uh, shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of a bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were great men of the earth. And by thy, what? Sorceries. Already, there's our word pharmacia. And so Satan appeals and has crafted things from the world system that have appeals to the superstitions, the superstitious nature of the Sin nature, and he's able to effectively deceive people. Notice here, were all the nations, what? Deceived. Oh, really, planao, you have a passive use of planao, they were made to wander. And so you are looking at one of the most massive deceptions that have ever been gone, that has ever taken place in the world. And which Satan is he's just really ma- manipulating all of the world system. He even has in this bag of tricks wisdom. We got some smart people today, don't we? Oh, they're so smart. They can figure out everything. What, everybody, their intelligence. They can understand how life works for everybody else except for themselves. Right? They're a bunch of crazy, miserable, wretched people. Well, think about it. The guy that, start, that was the CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond just a couple of months ago went out on his condo in New York City and jumped. I'm sure that somebody, he had to be, in order to be the CEO, somebody thought that he had something going on, Right? It didn't have much. The world has its wisdom, and who is the author of it? Satan. He's the one injecting wisdom or knowledge. And what is wisdom? You have to have knowledge and then the proper understanding of that knowledge of how to operate in the system itself. And so Satan is providing that to certain ones. Now, remember, we went back to Matthew 13, and we talked about that in this time when the son was gone from what the kingdom was that he would have ruled over, that Satan is putting in his sons, and those sons are actually uh, energized in order to distribute things in the world system. And that's what they're doing, and they're pretty effective at it. And you'll see also... Here's the problem. It also impacts the church. I think the church has been completely impacted by the world system. Well, I don't just think. I know. The church, what the people continue to ask, and someone was asking me yesterday about, well, what's the problem with the church? It's this. The church has been overrun by the world system. To the point that people are embarrassed to even teach 
Scripture. They don't even want to teach Scripture. And they're told in seminaries that the best seminary, I mean the best uh, message is a 20-minute message. Because the people, they can't handle anything over 20 minutes. This is what they tell a lot of people. And so the churches have been compromised. Many of your churches across this country have been compromised. And so they're not teaching the word. What, what are they doing? They're teaching the wisdom of man. And so it's, it's just what it is. And so if you look at 2 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, the, uh, oh, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the Lord talked about what would be happening in the, in the uh, church in the last days of the church. Let's look at that before we, and then we'll move on. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So he's not describing here the last days of the world because the world has always had these things. He's t- what's ironic about this is he's talking about the last days of the church. This is not the world. He's talking about the church. This is what the irony is. And you can see it in the context. Notice in verse 1, know this also that in, in the last days perilous times should come. Now, remember the context is he's talking to Timothy, who he sent over to Ephesus, who he was told to tell these teachers to top, stop teaching a different kind of Old Testament doctrine. And this is what you see in a lot of churches. I don't know if there's a correlation or what, but misapplication of Old Testament scriptures and the Gospels produce all kinds of craziness in the church. And this is what they were doing. And he told Timothy to go over there and he says, you charge them to stop it. Don't go over there and say, well, you, you, would you guys please, pretty please stop doing this. He says, you go and you tell them to stop it. And notice, and he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Check. Covetous. Check. Boasters. Check. Proud. Check. Blasphemous. Check. Disobedient to parents, check. Unthankful, check, check. (coughs) Unholy, without dedication to the things of God, check. Without natural affection, or really without a, a, a love for their own family members, check. Truce breakers, false accusers. Incontinent, or really that incontinent, without self-control. Fears, despisers of those that are good. That word fears is that they are, like their sin natures are out of control, they're just like animals. Or someone would translate that word savage. I've seen it, honestly. I hate to say it, but I've been in churches where I've seen people that they were like savages. I mean, some of the stuff I've seen in churches over the years, as they, as they say today, you can't unsee. <laughs> I wish I could unsee it, but you can't unsee it. I mean, it's, it's, it's really deplorable. But notice here in the context, having a form of godliness. See, he's not talking about the world. He's talking about people who are in the church. Having a form of godliness In other words, that word form is that they are manifesting outwardly an appearance that looks like there is something genuine on the inside, but it's all fake. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They're not relying upon the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says. You better get away from them. People like that, you get away from them. And I've heard people say, oh, we're just going into this church. We'll change them. Look, they're going to change you before you change them. I guarantee you. They will change you before you change them. And notice he gives an example. Verse 6, for out of this sort are they that creep into houses, leading captive silly women, led with various lusts, ever learning 
Now, see, this can't apply to the unsaved. Can you see that? Ever learning, but never able to come to a full experiential knowledge of the truth. Now, he gives another illustration. As Janus and Jambres, which stood Moses, so do these men also resist the truth. Most of you unsaved are not thinking about Scripture. They don't care about it. They're not going to sit up and argue with you about it. They don't care enough to even argue except for those unsaved that are inside the church. And I think that's what he's talking about here. And I've seen people inside the church, they will argue you to death. They have no information, they have no facts from Scripture to argue from, but they argue you to death. And they're arguing from emotion, not facts. And yet they still argue. (laughs) So notice he says, verse 9, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be made manifest to all men, as theirs also was. But thou fully know my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my charity, and my patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that will, that desire. You don't even have to be living godly. If you just even have a desire to live godly, here's a promise. You will suffer persecution. You know why? Because there's people in the church, when they see it, they hate it. Because you're, putting in, you're being put in opposition against these people who want to do things on their own strength. And when you tell people, oh, no. It's just living in your position in Christ and the Holy Spirit will do it through you. That drives them crazy. And they don't want to hear it. And so he says, you will suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so you can see how the world system, Satan has invaded. He's not only has the world system on the outside of the church, he has actually Produce the world system on the inside. And I'm going to tell you, I know pastors. There's people in my own family. They've got credentials. And all I can say about them is I don't know. God knows. Just because somebody's religious, that means nothing. And so notice in 1 John 2... Verse uh, 15. Now, in 1 John 2, notice Paul warns the Ephesians about, uh, excuse me, John warns the Ephesians about loving the world. And he says in verse 15, love not the world. Or really, stop loving the world. Because the way that it works in the original here, it actually, you could translate it, you stop loving the world. He's telling them to stop doing something that they were actually in the process of doing. Neither the things that are in the world, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he's not saying that you're not saved. But what happens is that it's hard to love the world and love the Father at the same time. And he tells you over in the third chapter of 1 John, how do I love the Father? By showing my love for the brethren. It's hard to show my love for the brethren when I'm loving the world. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, I think the Lord showed me in no uncertain terms was I going to be a sports writer anymore. And I grieved. (laughs) I was definitely loving the world. Now, what if I had said, perchance, when the Lord says you need to go to seminary and all of this, I'm not doing it. I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. Well, I don't think I would actually be here to talk about this now, but at the end of the day, you can see that it would be hard to do that. If my attention is totally devoted to doing this in the world, in the place of what God wants, I'm not going to be loving the believers at the same time. It's going to be one or the other. And what the world system does is it takes our attention away from the will of God. And it focuses it somewhere else. And it's so, it, you know, it, it's an in, 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 interesting thing because we can always justify it, right? 
We could always say in our mind, well, look at what God did for me. He provided me this job. And you say to yourself, I don't know. <laughs> hey, only you can say that. I don't know. I'm not going to have a question of God's will for somebody else. But, you know, you can hear people say things. And you say, hmm, <laughs> I don't know. I hope you know. I hope you know that that's what God's will is. But it's, you know, we can justify things, right? And, and it becomes easy to justify them. And those things, as we get off track, will just direct us further and further and further and further away from the will of God. And it's a very subtle thing. And he says, neither the things that are... Notice he talks about two different things. And I, we talked about this when we were talking about love. He makes a delineation. Love not the world. And notice he says, neither the things that are in the world. Right? So... You know, I've said this, that it, this issue of loving the unsaved and you just this is so common today that if you said this today, the people would think that you're a heretic and you can point out so many scriptures that tell you don't do it. And so notice, here's another one. Neither the things that are in the world, if any man loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world. Now, he's going to tell you what the world system is comprised of, and there's three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So you have cravings in the world system that appeals to my sin nature. Now, you think that's an accident, but it's not. Now, I sit up and I watch, and I, and I did it too when the kids were little, uh, the little Tecmo Bowl football game. I don't know if you guys remember that. I would, be, I would get on there and I would play with the kids. And, man, we'd be on there playing for hours on the end. You look up and, man, it's four or five hours of going away, right? And you've played this stupid little game. And, uh, and I just justify why I'm playing with the kids. I was enjoying it myself. <laughs> I was enjoying it. And so what, what is that appealing to? There is a part of the sin nature that the world system has things that appeal to your sin nature. And they are justifiable things. And so notice the lust are cravings that appeal to the eyes. And this is so easy to see. How many times have you saw someone brag about their ugly car? Or their ugly house? This is so uncommon in the world, right? When have you heard a woman say, see my ugly husband? You just don't even hear it. Because the world focuses on what strikes the eye. If it doesn't pass the eye test, we reject it. And so, uh, and there's been a lot of things. And I can tell you an illustration that when I was uh, back in high school, I spent some time in Lincoln, Nebraska. And this fella had a hoopty. It was a beat up car. But you know, that car had a great engine in it. And he never had problems with it. And my boss at the pizza place I was working at had a nice-looking car on the outside, but he had all kinds of problems with it. He asked my friend, he said, I'll trade you straight up. What do you think my friend did? <laughs> he made the mistake. He took the nice-looking car. He took the nice-looking car, and he had problem after problem after problem. And that's how the world works. It's totally focused on what you see with your eyes that is an attractant. And Satan knows it. He knows it. And notice, and here's the worst part of it, the pride of life. Or really, that word pride is the empty boasting that comes with biological life. It's the competition, right? Look at what I have in comparison to what you have, right? And it's all comparison. And there's an empty boasting that comes from accomplishment or attainment or achievement in this biological life. And just think, if you took that element out of the world system, people would be bored, right? That's the carrot that keeps everybody 
continuing to chase the things that they're chasing. If you didn't, if Satan didn't have that carrot out there in front of people, they would not really be pushed to accomplish much of anything. And so I think it's the biggest part of it. It's this boasting that comes from that word uh, for pride is to uh, it's a empty boasting or a, uh, a, a, a vain boasting that comes from biological life. And so and notice here's the kicker. It is not of say that word of ek out from the father. Well, who put it here? If God didn't put it here, who did? And so people might argue, oh, no, Satan's not in control. Who put it here? And so Satan's in control of this whole system, and he's manipulating it, and he's manipulating people, and he's moving people and shifting them from one direction to the other, and it's the system. If it weren't for the system, we would not make certain decisions that we make if the system didn't have us by the nose pulling us in a certain direction. And it's because of how we want our standing to be in life. We want to look a certain way to other people, right? Or we want to have something that really appeases our sin nature. He's got something for everybody. And we'll see next week when we come back that there are shortcomings to the world system. It just doesn't have the ability to actually sustain you in a way that God can. And that's the problem with it. And anybody that's completely given over to it, they're going to be disappointed in this life. They're going to find themselves, as Solomon was, saying, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. They're going to find themselves just really despondent because this life is going to disappoint you. It doesn't have the ability to give you what sustains you. And a lot of people are, you know, they they don't understand that. And they're all in.